In five, four, three, two, one. Welcome again to another Integrated Interventions podcast. Uh, today is one that we're very excited about, and I'm looking forward to introducing our guest to you. My name is Patrick Dundas. I'm the Director of Education, and joining us today is Dawson Schultz. He is uh, a big part of our multimedia department within the marketing program. And then also joining us is Madeline Feenstra, who is a board-certified music therapist. And Madeline, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is exciting um, because I know everyone in this room uh, absolutely loves music, but also the therapeutic abilities that exist within music. And so that's um, one, I guess, where we want to start off with is, Madeline, what is music therapy? Um, that's a great question. One I get a lot. Um, my elevator spiel is what uh, we get trained in college. Everyone's like, you got to have an eleva elevator spiel because everybody's always asking us that. Um, music therapy is an evidence-based practice where a board-certified music therapist um, uses music as the tool to work on non-musical goals. Um, and those non-musical goals are going to be dependent on whichever area of difficulty an individual has in their life. So um, later we'll talk about populations, and depending on that population, it's going to have different goals. Yeah. How long does it, it take for someone to go down this particular educational pathway to become um, board certified? Yeah. To become board certified, you need to attend um, a certified school. So there's, I do believe, like around 80 colleges in the United States um, that are accredited um, to teach music therapy, you go for at least a bachelor's, so four-year degree, um, and then complete a six-month internship. I think it's like, depending on the internship, it's like 900 to um, 1,200 hours of um, clinical experience. Some people go on to get their master's, or there are different certifications within the music therapy world that you can get. So like, if you want to work let's say in a NICU, there's a specific um, certification you are going to get for that. Um, and there's many different other types of certification too. How did you get your start um, in this profession? Um, in high school, um, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and I was going back and forth between anything related to music because I anything that was music related, I was in um, orchestra, choir, I did piano and competitions with that. Um, so I had a love for music and I wanted to follow that. But I also was, felt very driven to work in a profession that helped. So I was also um, seriously considering nursing and came upon music therapy just through research and felt like it just melded those two callings that I felt I was having. Um, and then after talking to individuals and going and seeing like college programs, I was like, yep, this is, this is what I need to do. Well, what age groups do you um, generally work with? Um, me personally, I have worked with a variety. Um, I've worked with like in my internship, I was in a hospital setting. So I worked with premature infants and I've worked all the way up through hospice. So um those coming into the world and those leaving. Um, I've done the majority of my work with um, adults with Alzheimer's or dementia, as well as um, children with 
special needs. So a lot of autism, spectrum disorder, um, Down syndrome, and a variety of other diagnoses. Well, I'm going to shift towards you, Dawson. Um, you have um, a long history in music, um, you know, as a musician, um, but also you are able to speak to the power of music that you've experienced in your own life and with your family members. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I <clears throat> I started playing music when I was literally zero years old, I guess, and uh, my whole family is incredibly musically talented and, you know, went from playing drums to piano to guitar to bass to singing and I <clears throat> I started like really getting in infatuated with the concept of um recording and the concept of taking a microphone and capturing sound so um the last decade or so I've really dedicated a lot of time to making a career out of um producing and recording and and you know engineering stuff for bands um and through all of that, you know, it's like I've been able to see how music is able to captivate people in interesting ways. It, it's so unique in the sense that it, it, music is literally different in every single way to every single person. And um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just taken a lot of time to, to really realize, like, how special music is. Because you, when you're – I feel like I'm on a, going on a tangent already. Uh <laughs> But that's okay. The thing the thing is is like when when you start talking about how music can actually move people, you you go up, you grow up without really thinking why you feel a certain way when you listen to music, and when you start to actually break it down like what you do for you know, in that realm, it's really fascinating to see how it can change people's lives. And uh I get to see it in a different way than you do, but um yeah, I don't know. I've just been creating music for a long time. So what are the benefits of music therapy? We'll start from, from your perspective of being a, a board-certified music therapist. Um, there are many benefits. Um, like, depending on who the individual is and, like, what area they are working on, um, music therapy can help with, you know, emotional regulation, emotional expression that maybe they don't feel comfortable expressing, you know, Let's just talk across the table. Um, but if we put those into a song and then, you know, express it through the music, they feel much more comfortable with. Um, for an individual who's had um, a brain injury, we can help or we can use the music to help create new neural pathways um, for them to be able to walk again, talk again. Um, a great example of that is um, Gabby Gifford after she was shot even remember how long was, ago that it was, was like over a decade ago yeah. it was a while ago but she um, made an amazing transformation considering everything that she had been through and if you search it um she attributes a lot of her success to music therapy she had a great music therapist in her rehab facility and um i i think it was specifically with talking again um made tons of progress through music therapy so yeah and you can YouTube, Google, and it pulls up right away. Um, for individuals in hospice, it's a great way for them to connect with their families. They can do legacy projects where they leave recordings of themselves um, for their family or working, or like the family will join them for the session and they will work together um, to just create those some of those final memories and happy final memories, not just, you know, sitting in a hospital room or, 
a facility with machines beeping, something that is engaging both the individual and the rest of the family. Um, in the NICU, I'm like, I feel like I'm going on a tangent now. No, um, <laughs> it's very fascinating. I was going to ask you, um, like, have you worked with uh, Parkinson's patients before? Um, so I've worked in nursing homes. Um, and part of the thing with nursing homes is you don't always get like a diagnosis of everybody. So I cannot say for sure that I've worked with it. But like from seeing symptoms of individuals mm-hmm. to be like, I would assume that individual has Parkinson's. I, I asked that question because my grandma, um, like I said, a very, very musical family that I come from. And she was a piano player and she was diagnosed with Parkinson's back in like 99. And, you know, the first 10 years are relatively slow growth. Like you don't see a whole lot, but the last 10 years, she passed away in 2019, I believe, um, were really rough. And the one thing that seemed to melt all the symptoms away was when she would play piano. It was the weirdest thing. She would walk up to the piano and she's, you know, shaking and had a hard time. There was a point where she would get to a, she would call it like getting stuck where she would try to walk and she just couldn't move the next foot. Like it was really, it was really sad and it sucked to see, but she would sit down on the piano and it was the weirdest thing. She would just start playing and she was very creative. She wrote books and she wrote a lot of music. And so she just was so in her head was so creative all the time. And then when she got to sit down and play, it was the coolest thing to see all the shakes go away. And then she would stop playing. And within a matter of minutes, she's back to the Parkinson's thing again. It was really really weird but music seemed to really help her and i feel like i've i've heard other stories in the in the parkinson's realm of of certain things really helping people like level out and not have it be so intense for them i know they're doing a lot of research um in the field of like just neurology with music because like for example when an individual walks you're using you know a very specific area of your brain and the same with talking, it's a very specific area. With music, it's more widespread, you know. If you have lyrics, it's going to be, you know, maybe more of that area that's talking. But rhythm is going to be over here, and the motor component that you're using to play is over here. So when there might be a deficit in one area, if you're combining all of these different areas, they help support so you're able to continue doing some of those musical things for longer, where, like, walking, like that Parkinson's shuffle or... Um, talking might be more difficult for them. Yeah. Another one too is um, people with Tourette's. I've heard stories of people using singing as a way to like, um, my dad told me this story. Maybe this is like an old famous story of um, someone that had Tourette's really bad. And he was like a singer. He's trying and his house caught on fire. He's trying to tell his wife, Hey, the house is on fire and he couldn't say it. And so he ended up singing it really loudly. The house is on fire, you know, and, and it, that was the only way he'd like separate that. Yeah. And it's so funny. I've heard same stories about like individuals with fluency disorders or like a stutter, like they might stutter through a whole sentence, but if they try and sing it, yeah, like they can get it out as smoothly as possible. So bizarre. That's so cool. I, I, I really had no idea that music therapy was a, th- I mean, it makes sense that that's a thing, but I didn't know that there was, you know, people in the area that you know, do it. So it's really awesome to have, have you here. Yeah. I am relatively new to the area. I am, uh, um, we moved like a year ago. So I just started up my practice. Um, cause I saw that there was a need in the area. Like, um, I was telling you earlier, I am in, um, a master's program to get my speech language pathology mm. degree. And I was doing a clinical up in Rathdrum and, um, you know, I got to know some of the families and they're like, we're, 
we're bringing our kids like an hour, hour and a half over to Spokane right? Um, to go get music therapy, which is for some families, you know, that's, that's a haul. It's really difficult. So they were asking me if I'd do it. Um, because at the time I was like, you know, I'm just focusing on this continued schoolwork. And I was like, you know what? No, I need to, um, this, this area needs it. And, you know, even if it's just a couple kids, like five kids, if it, I can help those five kids, I need yeah. to. And you said that you also do uh, lessons as well, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, I play piano and violin. So, and I've done some very beginner guitar lessons. I don't think like I'm qualified to do more than beginner. Um, but yeah, I've done piano and violin for a long time. Okay. Well, that's awesome. So. And so when it, with music therapy, what is it, re, what is recommended? Like I'm, I'm assuming playing an instrument is prerequisite. Um, um, to become a music therapist or to do music therapy? Um, I would say to do music therapy, but um, I would imagine that they go hand in hand having that, having that knowledge and background. So to become a music therapist, you will need to be able to play um, a music or a musical instrument because most music therapy programs are based out of the school of music. Um, so you need to be able to get into the school of music to get into the program. Um, uh, hmm. To do music therapy as a client, you don't need a lick of musicality. It does not, music is not the goal. Like for some individuals, they come out slightly more musical. That is awesome. But the goal is whatever area of difficulty we're working on. For some, it might be motor, speech and language, um, attention, sensory regulation, emotional regulation. That's what we're targeting. Nothing musical. See, that's interesting because, um, I guess coming into this, I was kind of thinking that that was all prerequisite, but that is also brings it back to the, I guess that, that aspect of working with different practitioners to mm -hmm. determine what those goals are. So who are the most common practitioners that you're working with? Like OT, you mentioned occupational therapists. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the clients I see are going to additional therapies, such as occupational therapy, physical therapy, or speech therapy. Um, and a lot of them are receiving those services in school too, because they're within the special education program, especially if they have a specific diagnosis. Um, I do not, I'm a private practice, so I do not work necessarily um, hand in hand with them. But like if a family, you know, is saying, Hey, we really want you to target speech goals. Um, can you reach out to the speech therapist and maybe talk with them to see what they're doing so you guys can be in line with one another. Or same thing with like a physical therapist or an occupational therapist. What are your some of your favorite, um, I guess, what is your favorite genre? Or are there genres of music that you utilize or um, when you're working with your clients? So client preferred music is always the best. Clients are more motivated. It's going to be the most effective within treatment if we can use client preferred music, which means I'm learning a lot of different music. Um, I've learned some very interesting ones, um, especially some of the older songs. Like you don't realize how funky they are and you're like, what am I learning? Um, but like, like songs from like, uh, like the 40s or 30s yes. and stuff. Oh, yeah. There is some weird. Yeah. Yeah, I totally um, know what you mean. <laughs> so it's always client-preferred music as much as possible. I mean, there's always some things like there's only so many hours in the day where you can't learn absolutely everything. But, you know, if a client says, hey, um, especially individuals with Alzheimer's and dementia, you're not going to use anything 
that's newer. They're not going to remember that. However, everybody remembers Elvis. Whether they love him or hate him or weren't allowed to listen to him, everybody remembers Elvis. Um, and kids, too. Like They're like, who's Elvis? Like, <laughs> as horrible <laughs> as that sounds, <laughs> uh, some 10-year-old would be like, what in the world? Why are you playing me Elvis? And that's multiple generations before they were ever even born, yeah. especially you if you're imagine, working with littles. Can you imagine, like, 30 years from now, you're doing this? And the song that you go to is Baby Shark. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's not far off, though. No, no kidding. I mean, in terms of you think of the pop, uh, the pop culture lexicon, you know, that it's been developed as a result of something like that, you know, that has a, a YouTube, um, I guess you could say became YouTube famous. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my no. God. No, I've heard other of my colleagues say the same thing, like, when my generation's in the nursing home, like what will they be playing yeah. in the nursing home? Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh man! So what do you love about music? Um, how motivating it can be. I feel like for my profession, that is probably the number one thing, how motivating it can be, but just how overall it can encapsulate things like speech can't, you know, like trying to have a conversation sometimes you just can't get that emotion out. But when you do it through music, um, it just feels like it's expressed better. Um, how much joy it brings people. Um, I've found, especially with when working with um, older adults, especially with Alzheimer's and dementia, if you go into a nursing home, I mean, and nursing homes try the best they can, but it's never typically a super fun place to be, but you bring music in there and just immediately everybody's face lights up how much joy it brings human beings. Um, and for the most part, universally, I mean, there are some cultures that, you know, have specific rules with music, but for, especially out here, I feel like most individuals truly enjoy music. Um, yeah, it's sort of hard not to love music. <laughs> I hope that answers your question. No, yeah, it, it, it's um, music is so weird because like, <clears throat> I, I put it this way because I, I think I, I I don't like sports that much, and I've always defended music over sports. I think it comes from my high school PE teacher telling me I was never going to go anywhere with music. I don't know, um, and always trying to get me on the football team, and I said no, no. <laughs> <laughs> And I always told him, I was like, you know, I'm going to be able to play guitar when I'm 50, but you won't be able to walk when you're 50 probably because you've broken every bone. No, I don't <laughs> know. Um, no, it's so funny because music, everybody, not everybody will watch sports on a Sunday, but every single person that's playing on a sports team has list, is listening to music prior to playing the sport that they're going to. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Like music is in everything. Right. Like, and I, I'm using the, the, the sports and music analogy kind of thing only because I feel like there's there's so many like there's almost two sides there's the sports side and there's the music side and I always feel like they're always competing with each other that's why there's always competition in high schools and stuff to see who gets the most funding so I don't know um but it's it's so weird because like music <clears throat> it just never seems to get to a point where you think you've heard it all and every single time that I think that I've heard everything you can no, it changes and it's, it's just such a progressing thing and it's super, it's just a never ending. I don't even know what word I'm trying to say, but <laughs> it's uh it's never ending and it's unique to everybody. Well, and everybody's journey is going to be completely different <clears throat> and how that person um, perceives that music. Cause I mean, um, mm -hmm. all three of us could listen to the same song and 
could like would likely pull something different out. And uh, it's an interpretation piece that I always think is most fascinating when it comes to uh, a piece of music. Uh, you talked about uh, Madeline, the music that you work with a with your clients is usually with their choice. Um, is there um, a particular song or a genre of music that you started listening to that you thought to yourself, I'm, I don't think I could ever like this. And then you ended up liking it off um, of sure repetition alone. Maybe. I don't know. I'm very open. Like I listen to most everything. Like if somebody says, you know, like this is my favorite band or this is my favorite singer. Like I feel like I like a little bit of everything. I try not to be judgmental when it comes to music because like you said, there's always something you can pull out of. Um, there are definitely things I lean towards, but yeah, I think I did have like a kid ask for like a really interesting, like screamo song once. And I was like, I'm not like, do you see, I'm like a basic white girl. I don't know if I can pull this off. <laughs> um, I really don't think I can do this for you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but other than that, no, I mean, I've found that I've enjoyed way more like older songs than I realized. Um, like just how much music is truly out there, I guess I've realized. Like there's always those popular older songs, you know, like um, What a Wonderful World, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Like there's those that everybody knows. But when you are um, asked and you're looking for specific songs, you sort of go down rabbit holes and you're like, there is some great music out here that I had no idea even existed. So it, it makes it really accessible now with Spotify mm -hmm. and all of these things. Cause you know, there's a lot of music that my parents used to show me. And the only way that I would have ever known that it existed is cause they had the physical copy of it. And it's like, I was missing out on so much stuff from the 60s, 70s, 80s because I didn't even know it existed. And so it's so music is so accessible. It's, it's kind of a weird time in our lives where we can actually see the, the formats change to a spot where literally it's like a Google search away from anything you ever want to music's never been that way. It's always right. been, you find it, you stumble upon it randomly or you find it from a friend from a friend. It's really weird to, to see how people are starting to broaden their music spectrum because there's so much coming at you all the time. It wasn't like that. Even 10 years ago. And I think there's just, like you said, so much more exposure in the sense of like different music being used through video games, through, you know, movies. Because, um, yeah, like some of the songs the kids pull up, I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> <laughs> what in the world? So. Uh, and the older I get, I start seeing where my parents were coming from which is funny. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> there's some songs that I hear um, and I'm like, how could it, how could someone like this? <laughs> and then I think about conversations I had with my dad and he would be like, how do you like this? <laughs> and then I'm like, but I think that's just that natural progression. As you get older, you start, you know, your tastes change. And yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like your most fundamental stage of your life is usually when you're, you know, all of the self-consciousness parts of your life when you're in your younger like teenage young adulthood and that's when you're most emotional and so the music that you listen to at that time is going to have more nostalgic feelings than any type of music that's coming out now and so you look at the newer stuff and you go how could you like this this sucks because 
you're emotionally attached to the stuff that you were going through or what you were listening to when you were going through probably the most emotional part of your life. Uh, I'm always doing my best to, I mean, I really try to keep an open mind. Um, but it's probably because I've, you know, when, when I think of maybe hip hop, for example, I had a chance to grow up in arguably one of the best times, what they refer to as the golden age of hip hop. And so, um, you know, you get locked into very specific parts of song, parts of music and genres. And so it's hard to shake when you hear something new, but I will say, you know, you do hit those earworms, so to speak, mm -hmm. you know, that have ability of climbing inside of, inside of your eardrum and they just don't leave. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, there's, there's so many, um, discussions and ways we can take this. Cause I mean, I could talk about music oh, all day yeah, long, yeah, yeah. but I, I also want to keep it to what we were talking about the therapy side of things as yeah. well. Um, I guess what about, um, your work inspires you? Um, I think just some of the experiences I've had, like seeing how music there truly can move people, um, and help people keeps me going. Like I have like three stories that are like my go-to, like when people ask, you know, like, why do you do music therapy? Like, what are your, um, favorite memories? And like, I think back to those and on the days where maybe it's rough and it's like, oh my word, what just happened today? <laughs> um, and I'm like, okay, nope, this is why I do it. This is why I do it. Uh, what, one of my most emotional experiences and I can be very emotional, so I'm going to try not to cry, um, was when I was doing my internship and I had to like sort of float. So work all throughout the hospital. And one of those teams was a hospice team. And this is when I learned I was not meant to be a hospice music therapist. Um, I had been working with an individual all week and, you know, just through natural progression. We knew it was, it was very close. If it was not today, it was going to be tomorrow. So I went to visit him and his whole family was there, his wife and his three or four children. And he was struggling to breathe. He was asleep. So I sat down to play some music with him, trying to help regulate his breathing and help him relax. Um, and once he heard the music, he woke up and, you know, uh, was looking around and his wife asked, would you like to sing? Um, and he said yes. So we began to sing some folk songs because that's what he leaned, that was his preference. And um, with his whole entire family and myself and him, we all sang several folk songs together. And later that night he passed away and his family wrote me a letter later that um, week thanking me because now they had this wonderful memory. You know, it's not, again, not a memory of him laying in a bed um, with machines beeping, but them as a family being able to sing together, come together um, for one last time. So that is, again, why I, and then I bawled <laughs> and I bawled and I bawled and I bawled. So I learned I could not do hospice. Um, uh, another um truly inspiring story. And this is why I am currently working on a speech language pathology degree is a little boy came into the clinic um, and he had had some very horrible trauma in his early life. And then he also had a um, diagnosis of Down syndrome and he would not speak at all. And they could not quite tell, you know, if it was motivation or if it was truly, you know, uh, just the articulators aren't coming together for him to form his words. And um, he 
was so motivated by music. Like mom's like, he's always dancing. He, you know, is constantly like any show that has music in it. We have to watch that over anything that's just spoken dialogue. And within a month, you know, he's saying his animal sounds. He's saying please and thank you because he was so motivated during his music therapy sessions. And mom would just sit there like we had no idea he had all these words, but he was just never motivated enough to um, use them in other therapies. Um, So, yeah, again, that's why I'm in speech language pathology um, school right now. So hopefully someday my goal is to combine the music therapy with the speech therapy and specifically work with individuals with diagnosis who maybe struggle with motivation um, and making progress in traditional speech therapy. So my final story um, is when I was working in a memory care unit, so individuals with Alzheimer's and dementia, and let's call him Joe. Joe was a very grouchy man, um, and he was very angry as some individuals with Alzheimer's and dementia. That can be um, a side effect is just anger. And Joe would refuse to come out of his room. Like, they could not get him out for anything. Um, They'd have to bring meals into his room. He would not come out for any activity except for music therapy. And I would go once a week, and they're like, this is the one time a week Joe comes out of his room. And he would socialize with others without getting too angry. Every now and then he'd get angry. But um, he was just so motivated by that music. And um, especially he was a Marine, so anything related to patriotism, um, you know, he'd be standing up saluting um, and just so engaged so, yeah. Well, he probably had a lot of uh, a lot of great memories rooted mm-hmm. within within his time of military service. Yes. Yep. And he, you know, every week he'd ask to sing um, the Marine Corps hymn, and then any time you like mention the Army, he'd be like, "Army." <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, I had a question about some of the exercises that you are working on, like specifically and and what those forms of therapies um, look like. Yeah. So right now, um, my population is um, predominantly children with special needs. So um, autism spectrum, Down syndrome. And like I said, we're going to work towards whichever area of difficulty they're having. Um, so... For, let's say, an individual who struggles with attention to task, we're going to use musical attention control training. And it has, you know, very specific standards or steps that we're going to use to work on some of that attention, um, those attention skills. And then um, I'm going to, I'm trying to think of, there's some, I mean, there's some that like don't really have names. They're just, you know, like for more emotional regulation or like emotional expression, we're going to do more songwriting um, or improvisation because um, that seems to just, it flows more naturally. It's, you, you know, you can't structure it too much because then it doesn't feel real. It can feel too structured. If Does that make sense? Yes. Um, but yeah, like things like attention, there's a lot of... Um, motor related interventions so it could be more fine motor so things related to you know like being able to point or pinch um or it could be more gross motor relating to walking um there is some very specific protocol um for some 
walking procedures for individuals like who've had stroke um, to relearn how to walk. Um, so it really just, like I said, depends on what the individual needs to work on. Well, no, it's like, how do you take something so, um, white, you know, so large and try to condense it into the shortest amount possible? That's hard to do. Right. Yeah. So you're going to like figure out the areas of difficulty for the individual, write the goals and then see, okay, this intervention focuses on attention and that's an area of difficulty or this intervention focuses on, um, motor related difficulties, you know, so you're just going to pick and choose which intervention best fits those goals. Do you work with ADHD? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and what what does an example of working with, say, a child with ADHD, what, what does that look like in terms of uh, like a therapeutic intervention? Um, well, everybody's ADHD can manifest differently. So that can be difficult to just like throw this again, like music therapy is like ebb and flow, right? So right. You can totally go in. Like I've gone into so many sessions saying we are going to do X, Y, Z, but the kid comes in having the most difficult day at school and I've got to back up to ABC so we can make strides towards maybe, um, you know, some of that emotional expression, even though maybe we, his goal or her goal is a motor related thing, but school was so brutal. We just need to get those emotions out. Um, So like for an individual with ADHD, it's going to depend on the mood they're in when they walk through the door. Um, What, you know, is it focused attention, sustained attention? Is it, um, I say divided attention, but they've determined that like divided attention isn't even a real thing. Um, It's going to depend on what area of attention that they're having difficulties with. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, it does. <laughs> and uh, I appreciate you kind of condensing it as much as you can, because I know this is probably something that we could talk about for hours if you wanted to get into the clinical nature of the mm-hmm. subject. Um, but you, you talked about ebb and flow and emotion. And Dawson, you being a performer, um, that is one of the key parts of, of being on stage, for example, and, and seeing that emotion, not only from yourself and your bandmates, but the emotion that is absorbed from the crowd. Can you talk about what that's like? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I'll try to condense it because I've already botched a few of these answers. Cause I, the thing about music is it's it's literally impossible for me to pinpoint what I'm trying to say because it's so broad. Um, but yeah, when it comes to that, like when I write music or when our band writes music, um, like I'm I'm okay at theory, I'm okay at... I'm okay at the instruments I play. I'm not the best in the world, but I can do enough that I can create a song. And I know when a song is getting good when I, I I get like goosebumps or like chills or something. And I kind of go off of that canvas of if that's how I feel, then I know that I'm in the right direction. And so I build my songs around that. And when you produce and mix and master and do all that and send it off to be published and put on the internet for someone else to hear, and then you play it on stage and you see the emotion. It's very interesting to see how it translates to everybody because not, not one single person looks at it the same way. Um, so when you're on stage, you see someone crying over here to your song and then you see someone over here moshing and then you see someone over here like just smiling and then you see someone on front of the stage just doing that like everything is so different and it's so weird like 
seen because it's all emotional. Like, who knows why the guy's just sitting there with his arms like this staring? It's probably because he's a musician and he's analyzing the guitar and the drums and maybe the way that I'm singing or the way that, you know, the bass player is playing. And he's he's listening for the music side of things and not what the song is about. And then the person crying is probably in in like much more um, in depth with like with the lyrics of the song. Maybe at some point they were going through something tough and the lyrics spoke to them. And so they're crying or something, you know, and then the, the person moshing is just loves to go crazy at a show. Like there's so many variables and so many layers of how people are emotion um, perceive music live or just musically like in their room or something. But like I've, I, we toured for years and years and um, played hundreds of shows and got to meet so many people and play with so many awesome bands. And <clears throat> I had so many people come up to all of us at shows and, and tell us, you know, your music saved my life or your music brought me through a really rough time. Um, so interesting and so cool that something that I wrote at 2 a.m. in the morning in my room that I felt cool about because it gave me like some chills and I was like, oh, this chord progression is really cool, has now manifested to being broadcasted to the world and now people are legitimately not killing themselves because of my song. Like, it's so weird. And um, and I'm, I'm not saying that's the only thing, suicide. That's not what I'm trying to say. It's just a lot of times that is something that seems to happen is people go through really very dark times and music saves their life. I've heard that word saved my life so many times in the past 10 years while touring. So I think if you don't mind me jumping in, yeah. um, I think in the music therapy profession, um, music therapy is becoming more and more popular within the mental health community. Um, for the longest time, I think it was sort of like, what's, what's the phrase like shoeboxed? I don't, that's not the word I was looking for, but, um, you know, it was like special education, music therapists work in special education. Um, and we're seeing more and more that music therapists, you know, are going and working like in hospice or in mental health, you know, either at VAs or um, mental health hospitals, because that emotional expression through music is such a great outlet for those individuals Mm -hmm. and can help them connect with other, um, you know, either other patients or even just like the music therapist or nurse or doctor, whoever else is participating within the, um, within maybe the group or individual session. Um, and that's a really cool shift to see that more music therapists are going in that direction. Man. So I, uh, this is a podcast that is, that is challenging the sense that I want to keep talking and I want to talk for hours, but of course, a three or four hour podcast is probably not going to be the most digestible for the average viewing audience. So we'll go ahead and bring it back. Um, but today just really speaks to the power of music and how it can be utilized in so many different ways from a therapeutic standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, I really appreciate that you were bringing up, you know, all the areas that you work with, but also how the the mental health side is a new area that is starting to be positively impacted and music therapists are finding a lane there as well. Uh, I think that really points to the future of having um, those kind of stigmas and, and walls and doors, you know, that were really hard for people to go through. They're able to walk around them or smash them down and we can kind of create a new, uh, we were able to create an, a new discussion mm-hmm. regarding these things that were taboo, so to speak about, you know, even just a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think 
I, at least for me, I, I'm hoping with the music therapy profession, we'll see music therapy creeping into more and more areas. Like I know um, there are some individuals who work in the criminal justice um, lane, you know, either within um, the juvenile system or even adult system. Because, um, yeah, again, they need a way to express themselves in order to work through some of their emotions. Um, and, yeah, we'll see. Hopefully it'll continue to grow that way. Well, Madeline, I really appreciate you taking some time out of your day to talk with us about music therapy and, and giving us a, a look at what that looks like for those who aren't familiar with it as a profession. Yeah. Well, thank you again for having me. I had fun talking. I definitely think we could do this again. Oh, we could, Another. we could have a part two. There's, there's no <laughs> doubt about it. Yeah. There's, there's so many ways and different roads we can travel on this discussion. And it's, isn't it, isn't March got a day centered around? There this? is. Yeah. yeah. March yep, 1st. March 1st. So that means that this podcast is coming out on March 1st, <laughs> everybody. <laughs> but there could be um, there could be a part two that would be applicable to yeah. later on. So I look forward to that as well. And Dawson, as always, thank you for bringing your insights. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I, I'm usually on the other side doing the camera work. So it's <laughs> nice to be on the on this side um, and trying to fumble through my words and talk normally. But Thank you for having me, Patrick. It's been great. Oh, absolutely. At the end of the day, though, it all comes together and it yeah, works. It does. So Cool. All right. Thanks again.